you've got kind of the intellectual content, the words we use, the expressions we use, but then you have the emotional content of a conversation and they both go together. And a lot of times we are so focused on what we're writing, what we're saying, we, we're not aware of the emotional content we're bringing you know, to a conversation. Recognizing uh, when you're getting into a, a, a crucial conversation that the stakes are high, you know, whether it's someone's reputation, intelligence, policies that affect people, whatever it is, and opinions differ. Those are two big things. And so when you recognize that, you have to be extra careful to kind of guard your heart and your words so that emotional content doesn't run away uh, with you and you end up, again, having a train wreck for a conversation. Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week, we are discussing some helpful tips and tools for tackling difficult conversations, improving communication, and developing interpersonal skills. In a world that can be highly divisive, both online and off, today we are talking with Dr. Seth Pierce, Professor of Communication, as he talks with us about some insights from his book, Seeking and Understanding how to have difficult conversations without destroying relationships. We want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at AdventNext. You can follow our guest today, Dr. Seth Pierce, on Twitter at Seth J. Pierce, and me at Kendra Arsenault with an X. But right now, this is AdventNext. Welcome back to Advent Next. Uh, today, this week, we have Dr. Seth Pierce. He is a professor of communication uh, without an S. <laughs> and uh, today, you know, we're, we're going to talk about, you know, how do we tackle some difficult conversations uh, without having to lose the relationships that we're building? And especially in today's political climate and religious climate, there are so many things to disagree about. And so we're going to hear a little bit of insight about how to navigate those conversations well. So Dr. Pierce, thank you so much for being on the episode today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe you can introduce the audience a little bit uh, to yourself as well as uh, your area of expertise. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, I've been a Seventh-day Adventist pastor since 2003, and 16 of those years were spent in local churches, uh, doing local church ministry, uh, leading both multi-church uh, districts and a large multi-staff church uh, with a church school. In 2018, I completed my PhD in communication with an emphasis in rhetoric and speech communication, and then I accepted a call to teach communication at Union College here in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, as well as teach preaching currently, which I really enjoy. Uh, and yeah, I live with my wife and, and three daughters and two cats mm -hmm. and one dog here in Lincoln. And um, as we were chatting earlier, we're just enjoying that it's in, in the 40s right now and not 20 below zero like it was last week. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The, the 60 degree uh, change in weather can really make it feel like summertime, I'm sure. Yes. So tell us a little bit about the difference between communication and communications with an S. Right. So communications is dealing with uh, you know, internet installation, phone service, uh, those kinds of things. Communication is uh, social sciences, studying human interaction, um, how media affect human consciousness and culture and and more more subjects like that. Uh, not that we don't use social media in communication, uh, but it, it's more on the um, the content. Uh, a little, yeah, a little more on the theoretical side and, and and research side versus just practically, you know, how do you 
use Hootsuite to, you know, preset your tweets, you know, um, would be right. probably more of a communications thing, um, versus, uh, you know, different rhetorical theories that, um, influence audiences, you know, and how we test those theories, you know, things like that. Yeah, no, it sounds like a fascinating study, especially since a lot of us don't know how to communicate well. I mean, I think what a lot of the breakdowns in marriages will come over communication, divides and splits in churches, even the divide that we we have in our society. I don't think we have like like an outlet that really navigates that well, right? Our 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 news outlets and a lot of the media that we're consuming can be very polarizing, right? And yeah. so it's a, it's a great skill. But you wrote recently a book called Seeking and Understanding, and maybe you can mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that as well as some motivation behind. What got you into the writing of this book? Sure. Uh, the main inspiration for the book was I was probably like everybody watching family, friends, and church members who I knew to be good people. You know, I'd been to their homes, had dinner, spent holidays with them, all those things. And these good people were having really bad conversations online. Um, they translated into nasty exchanges in, in person, um, whether it's, uh, again, in a inside the home in a family setting or a church, Sabbath school, just kind of all over the place. Uh, and often the the motives weren't even bad, but the approaches to the conversation around very nuanced and emotionally charged uh, topics such as race and gender and theology um, would turn really, really ugly. And then additionally, uh, I'd receive communication, um, text messages, uh, Facebook, social media, emails, um, from people I didn't really know trying to amp me up over uh, suspected heresies in the church. They didn't like an article I wrote, and they just sort of like uh, explode in, in these messages. And one in particular, I remember, uh, sent me a private message on Facebook years and years ago about a guest speaker at an Adventist conference uh, that they suspect of playing a role in the dreaded emergent church that was, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and they wrote me this, again, no contact previously, but they wrote me this small epistle um, in my DMs about how they spoke this this individual spoke at a conference and after they were done i simply responded well and, and then what happened and they kind of blustered a bit but they really didn't have anything of note to tell me and, and the conversation ended but just these random messages that would come in um with no context just sort of wild you know in, in my dms uh, another time i was promoting uh, a book i wrote um on ellen white for um for the marketing it says teens but it's uh for general audience and uh, on ellen white and promoting it on Facebook and another random individual jumped in the thread with their pet issue. And the result was like over 100 comments that ranged from really thoughtful questions about my book to the person's bizarre accusations of church leaders on subjects totally unrelated uh, to anything that I was posting about. And then the thread, uh, a lot of the people in the thread turned on this person and that person turned on me uh, because it Later that evening, of course, I, I left to go have supper with my family, um, put my kids to bed, and they even like tagged me in this post that said, you know, while you were tucking your kids in bed, Rome was burning. I mean, this is wild, you know, comments. <laughs> right. uh, and so, so these kinds of messages and what I call rage baiters um, come out there, and they they just blast us with these communication communications, and they crazy everybody up and and get people angry and upset. Uh, and so as all this is happening, especially in um, the last you know couple of years with all that's transpired, particularly in American politics and culture, I felt like the time had come to produce something, uh, a, a communication resource that would be really accessible for people who wanted to start having better conversations. And, and I mean, I think it's so pertinent. Like I was just reading a, a book today um, 
or, or this week that this pastor had lost a position in his church based off of like him resharing a Facebook post on something that was pretty controversial, but he mm-hmm. felt was a discrimination issue and lost his job over it because mm-hmm. so many people had been stirred up uh, on Facebook, which is it's interesting that we live in, in that type of a, a day. So, I mean, how do we begin to navigate some of these difficult conversations and still remain in relationship with people who might very widely different, sorry, may widely vary from us <laughs> or very <Yeah>. widely? <laughs> um, so it's, you know, communic- the field of communication is so huge and there's so many issues that contribute to making a conversation a mess. Uh, one, I think simply is just a lack of self-awareness. Um, mm-hmm. when we get into communication, so many conversations happen organically and quickly. Um, they're not pre-planned and the emotional content escalates quickly. And before we know it, we're making all kinds of judgments about the other person and reacting, uh, responding to those judgments, whether they're grounded in reality or not. Uh, this is one of the reasons that in premarital counseling, uh, when pastors who do premarital counseling sit down with a couple, we work through various frameworks of how to resolve conflict. Uh, I know, the the method that we would use that we were trained in had like a 10 step process and encouraging, you know, their homework to go home, pick a subject that you disagree about and really work through. Uh, because in, when a conversation goes bad or an argument starts in the heat of the moment, you're not, you're thinking of frameworks. You just, you just jump right in there and, um, it just, explodes. Uh, there's an interesting branch of research called affect theory, which uh, looks at precognitive emotion. In other words, before I recognize myself as being angry or sad, um, there are social forces working on on me. They're moving on me. And, um, and just being aware that when I enter a conversation with somebody online, about an important subject or or an emotionally charged subject, I have to pay extra special attention to what's happening in my mind, in my heart, in my body, so I don't lose track of myself and then and end up getting into something that's going to be toxic. Yeah. Um, and I wonder too, even just to piggyback on that, and I don't want you to lose your train of thought, but yeah. it seems like even online you use you lose the human element, right? Mm-hmm. When you're face to face with somebody, it's harder to kind of lose it in front mm-hmm. of them because you're reminded of their humanity. You're reminded that they're a good person. They exist. They're in front of you. But sometimes when you're online, you just think people are ideas uh, yes. to rant at, right? Yeah. They're depersonalized. You're an avatar, you know, and, and, and really, and, and, and sometimes we don't even know these people. That's the other element is you get strangers yelling at people they don't know online, have no history with. Uh, and for some reason we feel more free, you know, there's lots of reasons, you know, but it is a space where, uh, we feel more unfiltered to just blast things out there and forget that, you know, I'm going to see these people you know, at church. I'm going to see these people at work. Uh, I might not know them. And then I just happen to run into them on the street or at a work conference. And then it's super awkward <laughs> when that happens. Right. Um, yeah. Another issue I think that contributes to this is we aren't aware of our knowledge base on certain subjects and topics. Mm-hmm. So we assume we're well-informed enough to engage. And then as we get in uh, with, again, a variety of people who we don't know who may be more informed than us, who have read research we haven't read, uh, we find ourselves out of our depth. And instead of taking it as an opportunity to learn, um, we go on the defensive, it's, it, especially if the other person's engaging us in a way that's condescending, or overly aggressive. And then the conversation is more about me defending defending my honor and intelligence uh, versus learning from a different perspective. Uh, And then finally, I think another big factor is our cultural background plays a role in how we engage others, uh, especially if they're 
different from us culturally, um, not just in terms of you know, political opinion or, or theological opinion. Uh, one scholar I like um, suggests that culture is the software of the mind. <laughs> and so when we're born and we're brought up in certain environments and cultures, it acts as our operating system, like iOS or Safari, you know, um, or not Safari, mm-hmm. excuse me, um, uh, Windows, uh, anything like that. And so we learn to code certain forms of communication a certain way. And that culture uh, culture affects how direct we are verbally. It affects mm-hmm. our nonverbals. It affects how we defer to people in power, uh, our willingness to deviate mm-hmm. from the roles society assigns us. And so all those things come to play online that can potentially create a lot of mess if we're not aware. Wow. I really love that insight because I think that's one of the underlying kind of, you said the software issues that we don't often think about, you know, what's the background, the style, the cultural uh, influence that this person is bringing to a conversation that may not match my own mm-hmm. and how to begin to navigate that. Well, like, I think that's, that's really great. Uh, so what are some of the things, you know, what, first of all, just kind of backing up and, and you mentioned, you mentioned all of these and these all apply. And so, but if there's anything else mm-hmm. in this genre, which is like, what about difficult conversations make them so difficult for us? You know, you're mentioning sometimes it turns into not necessarily an exchange of ideas, but a, a defense of honor against someone who feels condescending. But what are some other areas? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the awareness is huge. Um, just not being uh, cognizant of our emotional state. You know, there every conversation has got, you have the sort of, uh, what I'm going to call intellectual, and I'm trying to make a false, you know, um, you know, dichotomy here, but you've got kind of the intellectual content, the words we use, the expressions we use, but then you have the emotional content of a conversation and they both go together. And a lot of times we are so focused on the, um, what we're writing, what we're saying, we, we're not aware of the emotional content we're bringing you know, to a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great book, and it's been in multiple editions called Crucial Conversations. And that book, kind of, and I mentioned it in, in my book too, uh, talks about recognizing uh, when you're getting into a, a, a crucial conversation that the stakes are high, you know, whether it's someone's reputation, intelligence, um, policies that affect people, whatever it is, and opinions differ. Those are two big things. And so when you recognize that, you have to be extra careful to kind of guard your heart and your words so that emotional content doesn't run away uh, with you and you end up, again, having a train wreck for a conversation. Yeah. And, and I think we've all heard this, you know, this said to ourselves personally, maybe we said it to somebody else, which is, it's not what you say, it's the way that you say it. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm guilty of that, you know, and there's so much, like you're saying, content and information that's being portrayed in kind of our emotional space that we have to stay aware of. So I I really appreciate you bringing that out. Um, So kind of moving into like some rules that we can take with us Mm -hmm. into conversation, fluid rules, maybe not, you know, ingrained in stone, but what are some good principles that we can begin to bring into conversations to help us? Yeah, I think the biggest one, the absolute fundamental core one is just slow down slow down. Uh, I've made so many mistakes uh, simply reacting to an inflammatory accusatory text email or social media post or someone who asked me a question in person that's a little bit too pointed. Um, And I learned from several colleagues that the best uh, way to process these, if possible, um, is to wait 24 hours before replying. Even even if it's in person to say, you know, it's a good question. Can I think about it and get back to you tomorrow? and most of the time, we sort of have those those cues. Our heart race picks up a little bit. We can kind of feel that that angst you know, rising. Yeah. You know, we feel ourselves being triggered, and that's usually an indication that 
let me let me come back to this. Let me wait till I'm in a better state. Uh, and it's really hard, especially when the messages directly attack your motives or your character, or, or they call you names. Um, you want to reply and just eviscerate that person. And um, <laughs> but often giving it time not only helps craft a more productive message, but it also gives you time to read their message correctly. Uh, this last year, I. Uh, almost replied to one of my Twitter followers in a way that would have been pretty snarky and condescending because I felt that they were uh, disagreeing or or criticizing a short story that I posted. But after reading their comments again, I posted gently and it turned out they were actually agreeing with me. They were just adding to the story. So I almost like, you know, went after somebody who, whose communication was trying to support me. Um, uh, But the fact that I, I waited, let me calm down enough to really get a more accurate read. Um, in John seven twenty four, Jesus talks about stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. And we really need to take the time to process the messages we receive instead of just reacting to them. I have pressed the undo button so many times on an email yeah. that I just sent. <laughs> yes. like, like, wait a minute, undo this. <laughs> yeah. And so it's something that I wish that there were like undo buttons on more apps, like mm-hmm. text messages. I mean, yes. WhatsApp allows for that. Yeah. But it's one of those things we all fall prey to of just acting too quickly, acting too emotionally. And then it just does more damage in the end, right? Nobody, Mm -hmm. they become more defensive. We become more (laughs) self-righteous. Yes. So, so first principle, slow down. It's not an emergency. Take your time. Yeah. And they they teach you that too. Just, you know, um, I was thinking I got a a speeding ticket this last year and they do a stop class in Nebraska. And, And so much of the time they talk about the rules of the road, not letting other people, you know, they may be out of control. They're driving, but don't let them provoke you to, for you to be out of control and then get into an accident. So same kind of principle. The other uh, part of being of slowing down is when we get into talking about intercultural issues um, or or social issues such as uh, the murder of George Floyd or Black Lives Matter or feminism or Me Too or any of these things, uh, I always tell people this is slow work, right? In other words, you know, you may have read three memes and an article from your favorite news site, but that 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 doesn't count. This is don't you're not going to master this, and and so always sort of taking a posture of of learning, being open when someone corrects you, when someone offers you a different uh, uh, resource you haven't heard of, take the time to read it process it, write some notes on it. Um, but in general, engaging uh, deeper conversations, especially over social issues. Now it, it, it's slow work. And so yeah. take, take your time. Yeah. And I think, you know, even in addition to that, I, I think it really takes a posture of humility to be able to slow down and hear what somebody else has to say, because, you know, like you were saying earlier, it's, it can feel like an attack on your intelligence when someone comes with new information that you hadn't considered or that you feel is contradictory to the information that you received. And so I can definitely see the benefit of like slowing down and it allows you to develop a posture of humility that you might not have in in the moment. Right. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned um, in our personal conversation about media ecology. So I was wondering if you can tackle like what is media ecology and how does the ecology of our media consumption affect the way that we hear others? Okay, good. Um, yeah, super important subject and something I think is is fascinating. Uh, media ecology is a specialization within the field of communication, although some would say it's son- synonymous. You know, uh, it grows out of the work of Marshall McLuhan, Walter Ong, Neil Postman, Lance Strait, and others, and it suggests that even more than the content 
of our media, you know, so what you're watching on Netflix or what you're looking at on uh, Instagram, the medium itself um, is more important to pay attention to. So the the phrase that many people are familiar with from Marshall McLuhan is the medium is the message. And to illustrate this, uh, and I... cannot remember where I, where I read this, but the story goes that there was this uh, theater in, in the 19th century and, and um, one of the actors runs out and announces the building's on fire. You know, everyone get out, the building's on fire and everybody laughs at him and the building burns down and everybody dies. And it's because he was dressed like a clown. And so, so the information was, was, was true, literally true. The building's on fire but because it goes through the medium of a clown. We, we process it as humor. And the idea is, as we move from um, oral and oral culture to, to uh, literary culture, to electronic culture, to what we have digital culture, these, these environments uh, work on human consciousness above and beyond the content that we're, we're consuming. Uh, they make us think in certain ways. And so um, a good example of digital culture is you think of like uh, text messaging and which is we have this mixed blessing called autocorrect and I think all of us have probably had something corrected we didn't want corrected uh, I know for me I get frustrated when I when I write a real word and it corrects it to another real word you know like look just you know send the message I wanted to send right. um, and but you think about how that impacts people we have this this medium uh, that we use for a lot of our communication and we don't have to worry so much about taking time to spell it right because it'll just correct it for us and so um, the medium uh, is actually teaching us that speed of reply is more important than accuracy and mm. taking our time. Um, another way that mobile technology shifts uh, social dynamics is you think about you know, our mobile devices. Uh, it used to be um, uh, when I was growing up, you know, you had a landline and when someone would call, you'd pick up the phone and say, you know, pierces. <laughs> and it was, we were sort of one unit as a family. Now everyone's got mobile devices. It's, it's Seth's phone, it's Angela's phone, you know, it's, and it sort of, um, has the potential, you know, to make everybody in that same house in their little worlds, you know, uh, and yeah. separate, even though they're connecting outside of the house. And so, uh, what a media ecologist does is looks at, um, all right, we live in this digital environment. Uh, what is it doing? What are the media, what is the medium teaching us, you know, um, uh, in terms of how we interact with, with life and culture and society. And a lot of times when we talk about these breakdowns in communication, you think, you see this online where um, we don't really respond, we react. Everything is is designed to get us to react, whether it's clickbait, I mean, uh, provoking the, the fight or flight, you know, part of our brain, everything is, is sort of geared that way, uh, vying for our attention. And it's not really teaching us to be slow, deep thinking, thoughtful responders. Mm. Yeah. I, I And I'm even thinking like, and I don't mean to be on a tangent, but like, how, how do parents even know who their kids are co- talking to now? Like back in the day, it was like you could pick up the phone and talk to their friends and have that interaction. But anyway, I, I know that that's only one form of communication, but it seems yeah. like there's a more isolated tendency when it comes to communication. But how are different um, mediums like Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, like how, how do they f- affect that? Yeah. And I. Yeah, I think it's just a simple question to ask oneself, you know, if you're on these platforms, is who am I on Twitter versus who am I on Facebook versus who am I on Instagram? And they're they're similar in some ways, but there is a little bit of a shift in how we communicate. You know, I know in my experience, Twitter tends to be short, pithy, punchy, snarky, you know, um, 
Instagram was more thoughtful, aesthetic, you know, concerned with aesthetics and visuals. It's just, it's different. And Facebook, um, I'm not on Facebook as much anymore. Uh, I mean, I'm still there. Um, but I, I saw, especially during this last election cycle, it turned into just a um, f- false news factory, you know, a fake news factory and, and really inflammatory memes and um, ungracious threads. And it just, it felt really... Um, like it's a toxic space to be in. And, mm. uh, so each one of them has its own logic, its own way of, of teaching us to, uh, respond. And so I think when we, it, it's good every now and then to do kind of a social media inventory to kind of look back at your posts and tweets and think, you know, what, what's my goal here? What am I saying? What's, what's the tone? You know, what's the, you know, as my students say, what's do a vibe check on, on your social media and, and kind of ask questions as to what, what am I putting out there? Um, am I contributing yeah. to the pool of meaning or am I, or am I complicating it and making it a mess? Thanks so much for taking the time to listen in and please stay tuned for part two of this conversation as we conclude our discussion on communication and the development of this very needed interpersonal skill set. For a more in-depth look on improving your communication, you can check out Dr. Pierce's book, Seeking and Understanding. If you're not already following us on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, be sure to do so at Advent Next. You can follow our guest today, Dr. Seth Pierce, on Twitter at Seth J. Pierce. And you can follow me at Kendra R. Snow with an X. I just want to say a special thank you to those of you who have left reviews on Apple Podcast or are engaging in the comments through YouTube. I really love hearing from you. So if you enjoyed this discussion or topics like these, please leave a review on Apple Podcast or send a request of the topics that you'd like to hear. See you next week.